the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Uh, greetings, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I want to welcome you to a brand new video series that I will be doing with my brother, uh, Reverend Anthony Rogers. And of course, just the very name uh, should really uh, prompt each one of you to focus on every single episode of this series because of how rich it's going to be. I had the privilege, of course, of working uh, with Anthony in numerous topics. And I remember one concerning, for instance, the Trinity in Old Testament and specifically talking about the angel of the Lord. And I have to tell you how enriching and a blessing that series was, not just to myself, but to many of our viewers. Uh, this particular series will focus on Isaiah 53. And of course, as believers in Christ, Isaiah 53 is so special to all of us and uh, so problematic, of course, to a, a Jewish person who denies Christ, obviously. And that's why you find like different ways or attempts to try to uh, make sense of the language that is used in Isaiah 53. But, you know, our goal here is to try to stick to the important message found in there, how that tied to Christ. But before we do so, today is going to be an overview, an introduction, not just concerning Isaiah 53, but in general about the book of Isaiah, who, by the way, rightly so, is entitled as the fifth gospel. With me here uh, remotely, uh, our dear brother, Anthony Rogers. Anthony, welcome back, brother, and uh, what a blessing to have you. Hi, Al, and it's definitely a blessing for me to be with you. Thank you, brother. So what is it about Isaiah 53 uh, that you want our audience to benefit from? And I know you and I have been talking about this a couple of times. I think we even did a quick live stream on this, and I think you did a debate somewhat related to the topic, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, I actually did two debates. They're not very memorable. Uh, <laughs> I think it was last year, maybe the year before, uh, maybe the last two years, both of them fell in there somewhere. I debated Osama Abdullah and Shadid Lewis. Uh, I would recommend the debates at least for the presentation of the content of Isaiah 53 and in order to show how well the Christian case holds up. Uh, but I wouldn't suggest that my opponents were the most uh, capable uh, in representing the the other side. But uh, yeah, I did a couple of debates on it. You and I also did an episode where I think we were talking about the connection between this passage and what's known as the Akita, the binding of Isaac, because right. there's actually a lot of significant conceptual and verbal parallels between these two accounts. And this was even recognized in ancient Jewish sources. So yeah, we've done a good bit of stuff on this. Correct, correct. So what is it that you would like our audience to learn about Isaiah in general and Isaiah 53 today? 
Okay, so yeah, one of the things I want to point out as we go into this series is just an interesting fact about what's known as the canonical shape of the Old Testament, where Isaiah fits into this, and thus have some idea of where this passage that we're going to be looking at uh, fits into the Old Testament scheme of things. Interestingly, when you look at the Old Testament uh, and you look at the order of it, not the current order found in our English Bibles, but the historic order used by Jews from ancient times, there are three divisions, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, or the writings, which begins with the Psalms. In fact, uh, you'll recall, Al, that Jesus mentioned this way of ordering the books in places like Luke 24, when he was talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Well, in that second division, uh, the, the division of the prophets, there are actually two categories known as the former prophets and the latter prophets. Now, remember, in, in the first category, it ends with Moses passing from the scene. And before he does so, he says that the Lord God is going to raise up somebody in the future that will be like him, somebody who would know him face to face, somebody that would perform miracles on a scale that uh, you know goes beyond what anybody else had ever seen. This figure would be the climax of prophethood and everything else. And so it, it's interesting then when in, when you look at the prophets to notice that at the head of the former prophets is Joshua. Now you'll recall that Joshua was Moses's aide, and right. Moses deliberately changed his name from Hoshea, which means salvation, to Yahoshua, which means Yahweh, Yahweh saves. saves. Exactly right. Uh, it's a combination of two Hebrew words and means Yahweh saves. Now, the significance of this is that this man whose name was changed by Moses, who said somebody was going to come in the future, mm-hmm. th- the significance of this is that his name in a contracted form is Yeshua, the name of our Lord. His right. name when he assumed flesh was Yeshua. That's the word that we get Jesus from. Uh, but when you go to the, the, the latter prophets, the head of the list is Isaiah, whose name in Hebrew is Yeshayahu, which is a combination, a different combination, but it's a combination of the same name as Joshua. And so it also means Yahweh saves. And so it's it's significant, I think, and at least it it perhaps whets our appetite for wanting to read the prophet Isaiah and see what he's all about. But it's significant, I think, that the head of both of these sections have uh, these figures have names that remind us of our Lord Jesus. And it, it's not, uh, I think, surprising that this book so prominent in the Old Testament, it has a prominent placement, uh, but it would also be a book so significant in the New. This this prophet, the prophet Isaiah, is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other prophetic book, right? And that's because it contains many clear predictions of the person and work of our Lord. It refers to his divine identity. It calls him the mighty God in Isaiah 9, 6. Amen. It refers to his virginal conception. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin will conceive and bear a child. It refers to his messianic vocation. Think of all the servant songs in Isaiah, not just Isaiah 52 and 53, but in Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, you have several other large sections known as songs that are all about this servant. That's why those who have studied the book and those who've earnestly read it, and you've already mentioned this, refer to Isaiah's book as the fifth gospel, or they refer to Isaiah himself as the evangelical prophet, right? So 
This is a very significant book. It's the head of one of the sections of the prophetic books. The author's name points to our Lord Jesus. It anticipates him. And the author uh, packed his book full of predictions regarding our Lord Jesus. So these are among the things we're going to see. And uh, this is the reason why uh, this is such an important book. Amen. Uh, would you like, uh, if you don't mind, in a few minutes that are left here, to kind of give people an idea about what is expected now in this series? What are the different aspects that we're going to be covering? Yeah, so we're going to look at Isaiah 52 through 53. We say Isaiah 53 just to keep things short, but it starts in 52.13 and goes to 53.12. We're going to see that this text teaches that the Messiah would bring about a new and greater exodus or redemption, that redemption to which the whole Old Testament was pointing. We're also going to see that he would be both a suffering servant or anointed Messiah and incarnate deity. That is, he would be both a servant and the divine Son of God. But we're also going to see that he would die, that he would rise again and be exalted to the highest heights of glory. And we'll also see that he will die as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners and secure their justification before God. And, and we're going to look at all of these things, and we're also going to see that it's not just Isaiah who taught and predicted all of this in advance. This is the religion of all the prophets. So there's a lot here. There's a lot that we're going to see. Amen. And I, uh, uh, in the seminary, uh, one of my uh, final research projects was to uh, write on Isaiah 54. And Isaiah 54 is very important because in Isaiah 52 and 53, as my brother mentioned, it has to do really with the cross or the suffering of our Lord. And in Isaiah 54, it anticipates the celebration now, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, because the tent of meeting now is being enlarged to allow both Jews and Gentiles to unite together in the presence of the Lord. So it is extremely uh, important for us to put these in perspective, and it's a beautiful story. And if I may add, Anthony, also, and I know maybe I'm jumping ahead of you, that the book of Isaiah alone is so fascinating to me because it's 66 chapters, and it's almost representing the 66 books of the Bible, literally, if you look at it, 39 chapters uh, from 1 to 39, almost representing all things. And the last 27 chapters representing new things, almost Old Testament, New Testament. And really towards the end of the book of Isaiah, you begin to talk about the second coming and the future, uh, basically, of the kingdom and so on and so forth. So this is why I hope everyone will benefit from this series. And it is for your own uh, spiritual enrichment, folks. Uh, it's important for us uh, to stand on solid foundation. I love what uh, uh, my brother mentioned here. And indeed, the live stream that he and I did has to do with the word aqidah. And it's interesting because it's an Arabic word. When we say aqidah, it's doctrine. And I love the way he described it. It's the tying of, uh, uh, you know, the son of Abraham, Isaac. But really, aqidah, that's what it does. It ties us to the truth. It ties us to the truth. In other words, if you want to deny the truth, that's why you become a heretic, because you are trying to rebel against the truth that is given to us. And that's why the book of Isaiah is extremely rich, because it anticipated a lot of future events in fact, just the distance in time between the end of Isaiah 39 and the beginning of Isaiah 40 
is about 150 years, and that's why many, sadly, liberal theologians are upset about it, and they think somehow a different author wrote it because they cannot fathom that Isaiah could have anticipated something like this to happen in the future. Well, brother, anything else you want to add before uh, we wrap this uh, introduction up? No, I would just throw, well, yeah, I would throw in, since you mentioned this, there are a number of statements throughout the section of Isaiah that Isaiah 52 and 53 are are part of, a number of statements where God is throwing down the gauntlet, as it were, and challenging even his people who were going after other gods and so forth, but challenging them and the nations, the Gentiles, to declare in advance what's going to happen and demonstrate that they uh, have uh, the goods, right? Demonstrate that their gods are right, demonstrate that their religion is true. God is saying, oh, look, I've declared the former things, and now I'm declaring new things. That are the, the former things happened, and the things I'm declaring now are going to happen. This is going to be demonstrative proof that these things are being spoken by and carried out by the true God. And so this section of Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and 53, has great evidential weight for the truth of Christianity. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Until next episode, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAInternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Hello, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and uh, joining me here virtually into our studios, our dear brother, Anthony Rogers. And if you've watched the previous episode of this series on Isaiah 53, you would have benefited from the overview that Anthony provided for us concerning the book of Isaiah, even the very name and the meaning behind it of the author, and how that ties into our Lord and Savior. And of course, starting today, we begin to focus and zoom in more into Isaiah 52 and 53. That doesn't mean Anthony's not going to really venture into other parts, whether of the book or other books, but at least that's the main focus of our uh, series on Isaiah 53. Today's episode is entitled Isaiah 53, The New Exodus. And with me here to unpack this, as I stated earlier, our dear brother, Anthony Rogers. Anthony, welcome back. Great to be back, Al. So what is it about the new Exodus, and how does that tie into Isaiah 53? Yeah, so in the previous episode, you rightly mentioned that the book of Isaiah has two major sections, uh, chapters 1 through 39 and chapters 40 through 66. Well, in, in the first section, chapters 1 through 39, although there are some occasional rays of hope, uh, messianic hope that shine through, those chapters predominantly consist of predictions of doom and gloom for Israel, because like filthy and foolish sheep, Israel, God's people, keep going astray. Well, then in chapters 40 through 66, it changes to a note of comfort and consolation, uh, particularly in light of what God was going to do for his people and indeed for the entire world. So uh, this section, again, 40 through 66, is referred to by scholars as Isaiah's New Exodus section because it harkens back to the days, uh, the former days, the, the days of the Exodus, the days when God redeemed his people by the blood of the Paschal Lamb, 
delivered them through the waters of the sea and brought them into a, uh, and cared for them in the wilderness, all of it with a view to planting them in the promised land. It, it harkens back to all of this, not so much to remind Israel of the glory days, the, the days of their past, but to tell them of a greater act of redemption that God was going to bring about, one that the former exodus was but a shadow and uh, an anticipation of, or a pointer to. Now, uh, we don't have enough time to look at all of this, right? 40 through 66, that would be too much to, to bite off in, uh, in, in a short episode. Uh, but consider a few things for starters. The second section begins in Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, saying, comfort, comfort, and announcing the removal of iniquity. And then it has these words in verse 3, which should be an echo in the ears of all Christians. It says, a voice, of, uh, a voice is calling in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord. So it begins with Exodus language. Right? It begins with Exodus language. In fact, uh, the, the, the phrase ba-midbar in the wilderness is the very name of the book of Exodus. That's how, it, uh, of the book of Numbers, excuse me. That's how the book begins. The Israelites who had been taken out of Egypt into the wilderness, uh, you, you have a whole book that's called in the wilderness, ba-midbar. So it begins with Exodus language, but it's prophetic. It's not backwards looking. It's looking forward. It's not talking about the past, but about the future. And it's using the language of the former Exodus as a way of conveying the greater things that God was going to do, uh, which would altogether outstrip, as it were, what he had previously done. In fact, uh, listen to what Isaiah 43 says. Thus says the Lord, remember, this is in a section, the second section. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way through the sea, note the Exodus language, and a path through the mighty waters. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So again, don't miss the language here. First, notice that the Lord here contrasts the former things with something new, that is the old exodus with what's to come, Second, he says that this exodus will involve making a new way. And third, he subjoins to this the promise of rivers in the desert. Okay, so the questions that should arise are, what is this new way? And what is the promise of rivers in the desert? What is all of this talking about? Well, uh, to understand all of this, the, the foremost thing we have to see is what Isaiah says about a figure referred to by the Lord as my servant, right? That's that's the term that's used in Isaiah 52, 13, but it's a term that's not first used in Isaiah 52, 13. We're introduced to this figure even earlier. Okay? While Israel is sometimes called God's servant in the book of Isaiah, there are several sections that have a particular Israelite in view, an Israelite who will accomplish redemption for Israel and the Gentiles and pour out his spirit. For, for example, think of Isaiah 52, or excuse me, Isaiah 42, where the Lord says, Behold, my servant, same mm -hmm. term used in Isaiah 52, 13, used here in 42, 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth righteousness or justice to the nations. This same section uh, says that the servant 
And note all these glorious things Al said about the servant. It says that this servant will be a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. He will do things like open blind eyes and release people from bondage. Uh, later in 43.9, the same uh, section, God refers to all of this as the new things, or excuse me, 42.9, the new things that he's declaring or foretelling in contrast to the former things. Right, So this new way involves this servant. And, and don't miss the fact, by the way, that this servant, according to 42.1, will be clothed with God's Spirit. I will put my Spirit upon him. This points back to what Isaiah had said about the Messiah in 11.1, where he said, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And it also points forward to passages like Isaiah 61, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and so forth. Now, many other things are said about this servant in this section of Isaiah, especially if people want to go and look them up uh, in places like Isaiah 49, where it teaches that God's glory is manifest in him. The God who says he won't give his glory to another says that his glory is manifested in this one. It says that this one will save Israel and the nations, which is one of the proofs that it can't be Israel. It's got to be an individual. It says that all rulers, kings, and princes will bow down to him. And then astoundingly, even before you get to 52 and 53, Isaiah 50 says of this servant that he would, by his word, sustain the weary. His very word sustains the weary, but he would nevertheless give his back to those who strike him, and he would be covered with shame and humiliation. So this, Al, is the new way. Right Through the right. death of the servant, God's righteous servant, as Isaiah 53 calls him, those who are otherwise guilty will receive pardon from guilt, deliverance from condemnation, and so forth. So we'll be like the Exodus. You were enslaved to sin, and now you are liberated from sin, technically speaking, or you're taken out of the realm of sin into uh, a new wilderness, if you wish, except you have a shepherd now that will lead you. Yeah, yeah. And so th- there's a second component here that I uh, that you're kind of dipping into that I forgot to say. I, I, I initially broached it, but didn't wrap it up. But I mentioned that there's going to be this new way, which is inaugurated by the servant, opened up by the servant. But I also quoted that passage in connection with the servant where God says there's going to be rivers in the desert. But what is this talking about? This servant who will bear the spirit and by his work, open up a new way, we're also told that he was going to pour out his spirit. That's the language that Isaiah uses of water being poured out on the dry and thirsty land. In fact, listen to what Isaiah 44, 3 says. This isn't just me. This is God himself interpreting this idiom. In Isaiah 44, 3, the Lord says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And so the servant, by his suffering and death, as we'll see even more when we look in depth at Isaiah 52 and 53, but the the servant in this new exodus is going to make a new way, which involves removing guilt, removing condemnation, 
but he's also going to deal with our inborn corruption. He's going to pour out his spirit upon us, his sanctifying spirit, his spirit who's going to give us new hearts, as not only Isaiah, but Jeremiah and Ezekiel both said. He's going to give us a new heart. He's going to enable us to walk in God's law, to love God's law, and to serve him. Amen. Amen. And and it's amazing, really, uh, what you're mentioning here, brother. And of course, if you uh, I know you know this, but I want our audience to remember that our Lord uh, uh, made reference to this uh, in John chapter 7, by the way, about these rivers that will flow out of us. And John also clarified that Jesus was talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So uh, so definitely you can see uh, how Isaiah is extremely important when it comes to the gospel. And our Lord actually referred to many times uh, in there. So thank you, brother. Uh, what is it that we are going to talk about next time so the audience can anticipate that? Yeah, so next time, having already looked at uh, the basic gist of the book, uh, where the prophet is situated, uh, the fact that this chapter is in the New Exodus section, we're going to see what Isaiah tells us about the identity of the servant. We know that he's a servant and that he suffers, so we'll look some at that, but we're going to look even further at this person's identity and see that he is not merely a servant, but God incarnate, God who has condescended to become a man and to serve pursuant to our redemption. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Until next episode, have a blessed day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.